And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we typically dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. This being our second mini-sode, this time out, we're going to be looking at the recently released Mortal Kombat adaptation and determining whether it is a good, bad, or what in and of itself. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I am Chris Thomas. How are you doing this evening, Chris? Uh, it's worse because I watched Mortal Kombat. Oh, wow. <laughs> we're getting right into it. So, um, I mean, that's fair. It's a mini-sode. It should be mini, right? So, I mean, we really, we got our thoughts out a couple days ago um, with the uh, with the 1995 Mortal Kombat and the 1997 uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And, you know, of course, as as promised, we're doing a mini-sode on the latest Mortal Kombat, which is currently out in theaters and on HBO Max. Um, so, I mean, we you kind of really just laid out your initial uh, thoughts there. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I guess I'll still kick it to you. Um, you know, this movie, um, we were both, you know, cautiously optimistic, um, you know, because video game adaptations had a pretty spotty history but you know uh, us both being big fans of the game and it being r-rated um you know kind of lent and starring a bunch of like outstanding like martial arts actors kind of lent a little bit of hope that this might finally be one of the movies to break the the video game curse as, as people have, have coined so i'll kick it over to you uh does this movie do that no, uh, and <laughs> I, I'll say, admittedly, I'm being a little hyperbolic. I, I don't hate this movie, but I will have to, uh, that, that comes with a bit of a caveat. I'll have to get into what about this movie and its elements I like, and specifically the fact that it's not the elements of this movie that I like. It's the, the elements of the other movies that came before it that it is stealing from that I like. Um, so, I mean, like you hit the nail on the head, the, the fact that they are approaching this with, you know, R-rated, uh, there's going to be gore in it. Um, that's kind of what you need to do. Like uh, the, the Mortal Kombat games, when they first came out, like this is totally, the, uh, like I said, in our um, episode that came out Friday, please go give it a listen if you want to have context about the, the, the movies that came before this. But um, the fact that it's so in your face, so gory, that's sort of what Mortal Kombat is known is that it's just over the top. Um, comical to the point with its gore that um, having a movie that is now aging with its audience, we're not going to make a PG-13 movie adaptation. Now we're going to make a rated R movie attacking that same demographic that we did back in 95, but now they're all old enough that they know what they're getting into and then they want to see these fatalities in, in all of their bloody glory. And I would say for the most part, it's pretty successful in that. Um, the, there's some stuff in there and a lot of nods to the, the game series that got a, a chuckle out of me um, and, and were pretty nice to see done on the screen. Um, and I don't know if you feel the same way as I do, but I think pretty much all of the elements of this new 2021 Mortal Kombat 
that are unique to this story and its and its presentation are the weakest elements of it versus the portions of its story that it decided to take from the game series or from the previous movies. I would tend to agree. Um, so I, I, I want to piggyback on everything you're saying. So just a couple things up front. Um, you know, the movie is um, available on in, in theaters and HBO Max, as I mentioned. We are probably going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and you planned on seeing it, um, I suggest going and watching the movie and then coming back and listening to the episode. But yes, I, I would tend to agree that the things that are unique to this movie are are, are the weaker elements. I think you're 100% right. And, and I should probably maybe summarize the sort of general plot uh, before we get into it. Um, essentially, the movie is about uh, a, a struggling uh, kind of failed uh, MMA fighter uh, named Cole Young, played by Louis Tan, who I typically like as an actor, but um, in this movie, he's just, you know, really just given the short end of the stick. Like, he really doesn't have a lot to do. He's a down-on-his-luck fighter. He's basically just getting roped into, like, exhibition fights for 200 bucks a pop, um, but he carries the mark, uh, the, like, Mortal Kombat uh, tattoo. Um, so he's discovered by Jax, uh, he's also being hunted by Sub-Zero. I guess maybe to rewind a little bit, the sort of framework of this movie is exactly that of the 1995 version and many of the games. Uh, there's the tournament called Mortal Kombat. Uh, Outworld has won the last nine. If they win 10, then they're going to basically, you know, merge with Earth and enslave the Earth. Um, but what's really confusing about this movie, so Outworld has won 10 times or nine times, right? Um, so obviously they've clearly outmatched their opponents from other realms. But in this movie, they feel the need to cheat. Like they feel the need to go and take out all of Earth's uh, champions, which is essentially what is happening. Um, Sub-Zero kind of comes in and, and tries to attack um, Jax and, uh, and Cole Young. Uh, they get to like Cole Young's family to safety. He seeks out Sonya Blade um, and they're being hunted. I think that then later there's a sequence when you find Sonya Blade, she's got uh, Kano trapped um, and so like tied up which also similar to the 1995 movie, uh, Sony Blade and Jax are, are hunting Kano as a, like a black black market, like trader and drug runner and gun runner and all this stuff. Very similar in this movie. Um, you know, Kano in this movie played by Joss Lawson, probably most people, if they know him at all, for, uh, playing the, uh, the head of the news network from Anchorman 2. Um, Kano in this movie, like not to jump around, but I just got to say right out of the bat, Kano is like skids and mud flap from Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Like he is the comic relief right out of a Michael Bay movie, like aggressive, misogynist, like racist. <laughs> like I think doesn't he call Kung Lao Kung Pao mm -hmm. at some point? Like yep. horrifically annoying character. He's always been an annoying character, even in the games. Yep. I don't know why they put a lot of stock in him in this movie as like, Kano is going to be one of the big driving forces of this movie. It's frustrating. He's, I found him to be entirely annoying the, the, like every step of the way. Well, and he's the definition of like throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Like, like he, he's like one liner, one liner, one liner, one liner. And they're like, one of these 150 lines that we give Kano is like really going to hit this audience and they're going to care. And, it, and it's they're like, all like pop culture references, like obvious pop culture, one. like he's fighting Liu Kang, like they're training um, mm -hmm. because they find Raiden's temple and that's where Liu Kang is. That's where Kung Lao is. That's where they're training for Mortal Kombat. 
and uh he's like okay no harry potter shit or like uh, okay put your shirt back on magic mike like these yeah. these are actual lines in the movie i'm not exaggerating these are the lines that he says like there's a couple others too but it's just like you're just going to the top shelf with your like <laughs> references like it's so annoying and I, I like i probably don't have as like much to say i think one thing I'm going to say right now is I don't want to disparage any of the actors in this movie because I think all the actors did well with the material that was given to them. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there was anybody that really stood out as like, fuck that guy. Even Kano, because like I said, if you're handed like an 80 page script and on 75 of them you have a line, I mean, you just got to do what you got to do. And I think for the most part, like, yeah, he'd like just barreled through as many one-liners as he could. There was a couple of them that, that worked, but then he loses all favor with, I mean, at least me as an audience member. Cause it's like, dude, I chuckled at one of them, but like at some point you got to shut the fuck up. There has to be other characters. There has to be other story developments that happen here and they're not happening. Cause you just won't stop. Exactly. I'm pretty sure even at one point, Liu Kang, uh, who's played by Ludi Lin in this movie, I, it was almost like simpatico because he says like at what point he says a one-liner i don't remember which one and in my brain and i didn't say this out loud because i i was i did see it in the movie theater so i wasn't going to be that asshole but i was like in my head i was just like shut up and like right at that moment luke king's like do you ever stop talking and i was like thank you i'm glad somebody said it. <laughs> the movie knew it um so but but yeah like you said like a lot of the plot is the same as the first one outworld is like you know and it's a lot of the same introducing a lot of the same characters who are in that first one because like if, yeah. you know they saved a lot of characters for annihilation also uh well and then of course like you know more characters were introduced between mortal kombat 2 and 3 so naturally right. more came into play but it's like Shang Tsung is still the big bad in this movie. They acknowledge Shao Kahn, but he's not anywhere in the movie. Uh, Goro is one of them. Uh, Sub-Zero is one of them. Um, Melina, which I don't think Melina made an appearance until Annihilation. So maybe no. that was like a little bit different. Wasn't Melina um, in it? I know I just watched it. but I She is, yeah. She fights Sonya Blade before that rock turns into like a terrible CGI oh. monster. Yeah, because she, she gets confused her with Katana. And yep. she's like, Katana, you wish. And then they have a fight. Um, but uh, here's but here's one thing I gotta say. Wait, wasn't that Jade? No, Jade's in it too. They're all in it. It's really God confusing. It. Yeah, they're all in in <laughs> in Annihilation. But here's one thing, like you know, we talked last week about those two movies, and like like I said, I I think a lot of the 1995 one doesn't totally hold up. But one thing I like really appreciated watching this one about the 1995 one, and I think I even commented on it too, was like the set design, the production design was like really incredible. There's like awesome creative sets. The costume design is really like flamboyant and like kind of represents the over the top nature of the game. There's like three sets in this movie. And they're all boring as shit. Like, yeah. like there's Outworld, which like Outworld in the day has this like blue filter. It looks like when um, it looks like when Bill and Ted are first uh, killed in Bill and Ted's bogus journey and they meet death for the first time. Like it, it has that like same filter on it. It's just like boring yeah. it, out in the desert, like nothing. And then like uh, Raiden's temple is also like super boring as well. It's like there's, pit. it's a sand pit with a cave in it um and then a gym and then like the gym is where the climax of the movie takes place 
yeah. like not to jump around but it's just like it's so oh and then i guess the cabin that that uh cole young's family is is hiding from so there are so four i lied i lied there's four sets in this movie i mean if we really want to be pedantic there's a coffee shop there is a uh abandoned building that jacks yeah exactly <laughs> i think that's what the screenwriter said uh but like i i it's weird because it does follow pretty closely the the 1995 mortal Kombat, but then it decides for some reason to remove some of the interesting bits like the tournament um i understand outworld wanting to cheat and in the 1995 original they also wanted to cheat but like raiden was there to stop them like when they we even talked about it in the last episode when johnny cage which they should have replaced cole in this movie with johnny cage or anybody else that was not a plank of wood but the the when they get on the boat to go to the tournament and Liu Kang, Sonya, and Johnny Cage go down into the hole of the ship, Ping Soon shows up and uh Sub Zero comes out with Scorpion and it looks like they're gonna jump him, like they're gonna attack him in the bottom of the ship, and Raiden shows up and he's just like, No, not until the tournament starts. We know Raiden still has that power to do that here, and he does that here. They come to attack him and he comes and puts a portal up and says not until the tournament. But then the tournament never happens. Like it's literally, we just took the 1995 original and cut off the plot after the first 30 minutes of the movie and then just tacked on something completely uninspired and uninteresting. Yeah, it suffers from a lot of like modern, like IP turned blockbuster syndrome in which like, I feel like we watch the setup for like the next movie. Mm-hmm. And, and and even worse though, like, yes, we watched that, but like the look and feel of the movie, despite the fact that it cost, I've heard reports between 50 million to 95 million. So I don't know Ooh. exactly what's true, but you know, we talked about that first one, how it cost 18 million uh, yeah. in 95, which is, I, I did the, I crucked, crunch the numbers it would be 32 million today so still cheaper than this movie looks better than this movie does like this movie looks like an expensive tv pilot like i feel like that's what we watched was like yeah it introduces a bunch of characters it doesn't even have the central tournament uh you know of course it has the most obvious like sequel bait grab at the end Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, oh, hey, X famous character didn't show up in this movie, but he's going to come back in the sequel, um, which if the movie cost more on the $50 million end, probably will get made. Um, this movie made $22.5 million this weekend, despite also being on HBO Max at the same time. I'm also so, curious how much they spend in budgeting, though, because like this movie was fucking everywhere the last two weeks leading up to its release. Oh, marketing, you mean? Yeah, yeah I bet I, it's... Yeah, I, I could not escape seeing the movie everywhere yeah i think they spend a lot of marketing for sure um but you know it may happen or if it did good numbers for hbo max because i don't know what those numbers are i only know the box office numbers I mean, I'm who knows one of them. uh maybe maybe they uh maybe it'd be either maybe the movie goes there or it becomes a series after this who who knows sure. but i don't know i mean you're, I, you're absolutely right though like when you say that like now like it, with with context it looks like the pilot of an HBO Mortal Kombat series. It's exactly how it's kind of depressing that it's not. Yeah, I'm kind of like, I I was like, I would like to see more. Like, I I think that's also the distinction I'm wondering too, because like, you know, you talked about, um, and we'll get back into the movie, but like when we talked about Godzilla versus Kong, how you're like, I wished I saw this in the theater. It was still good at home, but I still wish I saw it in the theater. Whereas, like, I wonder if this is the opposite, like, because I, I saw it in the theater, but I'm wondering if I watched it at home, if I'd have far less scrutiny towards this movie. Like, if it's just something I turned on 
and I was like, oh, you know, like with the expectation that it was like on HBO Max sort of thing, I, I might be like, oh, that was okay or that was enjoyable. But the fact that it's like, no, I drove like 20 miles to go watch this in a movie theater. And I was like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I well, mean, I'm happy to be here, but still I'm like, this movie is like, it's not worthy of that, I guess. Well, it's a really interesting thought because I mean, of course, uh, uh, movies and TV for years have been blending and and you know there was sort of a um a change of power back in like the early 2000s where things like sopranos were coming out and like people were starting to understand like oh you can do some incredibly interesting and and high level stuff with tv that you can't do with movies and so there's been sort of this power change over the years of like people moving gravitating towards tv and 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 movies and and they're you know they've been fighting for a while now and it was really interesting, especially now with like the recent Marvel series and stuff. Um, we just watched like, you know, the uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, which, uh, you know, that has like its own mixed reviews of people and, and how you feel about it or whatever. But you can't just deny the scope and scale and it being basically a smaller scale Marvel movie with these big set pieces and stuff like that. And that's not supposed to be in cinemas. That is supposed to be you get on Disney Plus and you watch it from there. So you, we watched, you know, Falcon, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then you go over and watch, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat on HBO, which is released in cinemas, but you know, in tandem with HBO. And talking about quality, Falcon and the Winter Soldier looks better. I believe it. I'm going to have to take your word for it. I have not watched any of those Marvel shows. Um, but I mean, I've seen clips and, you know, trailers for it. And, and I got to say, I mean, I mean, I've often critiqued Marvel movies for looking like big budget television, but so sure. it makes sense if it was like a television, it, if it at least maintains the bar of like a, a Marvel movie, then it probably looks like higher prestige television than something like Mortal Kombat does. But you like, but Mortal right. Kombat... Mortal Kombat, I mean, you know, HP, I mean, Warner Brothers obviously threw the Hail Mary, or I guess not Warner Brothers specifically, but like Warner Media slash AT&T, their parent company, you know, through the Hail Mary because of the pandemic. Had that not happened, Mortal Kombat would have just played theaters straight out. So this is the movie mm -hmm. that we would have saw in, saw in the movie theater. And again, it's like, it's, it's, this is not, it's just like kind of inexcusable. Uh, I, I think other thing. I think the other thing I'm most frustrated about, like, um, you know, I mean, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage any of the actors and the actors definitely do their best because it's really silly material. Like as a fan of the game, it's really silly material. It's absurd. And, and they really do their best to sell it. Like I, I begrudge nobody. I think everyone's doing their best here. Um, but like the one thing I wanted most was there to be like good action sequences. And like, we don't even get that. It's still cut to shit. Like just as much as, Paul W.S. Anderson's version, maybe even mm -hmm. even worse. And I'm not really familiar. This director, Simon McQuoid, quote, um, apologies if I'm mispronouncing it, uh, is like a first time filmmaker. But it's like what I don't understand is like, why wouldn't you go get like one of these like hungry, like actual like martial arts filmmakers? Like, uh, I mean, I think the thing I was most excited going into this movie uh, is, is so Sub-Zero uh, is played by Joe Taslam. Uh, who's in the Raid Redemption and is in The Night Comes for Us, which, you know, anybody listening, if you haven't seen The Raid Redemption or The Night Comes for Us, fucking go watch them. Those movies kick an extraordinarily amount of ass. Oh, yeah. But it's like, why can't you get, why couldn't you get like a Gareth Evans or a uh, Timo Ta Tahahanto? 
I'm, apologies if I'm mispronouncing that name, the director of The Night Comes For Us. Like, why don't you get somebody like that who knows their way around that style of action for this Especially movie? with the budget that you're putting into this. Yeah, it's like, an expensive movie. Like, get somebody who can actually handle the sequences. And it's like, they're still, they're really kind of just kind of like the first one where like the martial arts themselves are pretty solid. Like the, the actors are good martial artists. I think that is solid. It's just cut in a way that's not exciting and really like dilutes the impact. I think the only enjoyment I got um, from that as we kind of discussed is like, they do a couple of like notable fatalities from the game. And so like, as someone who's played all these games, it was a little giddy, not totally mm-hmm. heartless to see some of those on screen. I think we might agree here. I think specifically Kung Lao's fatality. Yeah. Uh, that was fantastic. Fantastic. I'm, Chekhov's bladed hat. I'm glad they <laughs> I'm glad they utilized that. Um, well, there's a few like there's a few moments in the movie. Like I know like, Kano is miserable, but the when he's like training with Kung Lao, or not Kung Lao, uh, with Liu Kang, and Liu Kang uh does a low leg sweep and knocks him over, which is if you know, if you yeah. have ever played with any friends, the low leg sweep keys is like the thing to do in the game which is if somebody doesn't really know what they're doing just leg sweep them until their health bar is gone whatever yeah. so like doing the leg sweep he gets up leg sweep him then faint and he jumps and he comes down like ah fuck like he realizes he's gonna get leg swept and he does it again yeah. like that that made me laugh like really hard like shit yeah. like i remember doing that with my brothers that was the one like funny kano moment and maybe maybe that was the same one you thought was funny too because they actually like they actually like had him do like the quote-unquote spam move like you said yeah. the leg sweep and so like to actually do that and have that little pepper like that was genuinely funny as much as uh Liu kang's fatality was cool what i didn't like and this happens a couple times is how they like exclaim things from the game after they do it and it's like yeah. that like what you just mentioned is a kind of fun, subtle reference. And I think that's actually like, I think that works. But like the mm-hmm. fact that like after Kano rips Reptile's heart out and he exclaims Kano wins or um, when Kano or uh, not Kano, excuse me, when Luke um, Kung Lao does his hat fatality, he doesn't he say flawless victory. Flawless victory. And yeah. it's like, stop saying it. Like, <laughs> right. It's so annoying. Well, like, <laughs> for me, at least like Kung Lao, I think he's familiar with the tournament. I I, I don't know because like the timeline is like completely stretched here, so I don't know when the last tournament took place. But like that at least kind of made sense. But like you're you're right. Like Kano was chained to the floor, and then Reptile attacked, and then um, Sonya, uh, the uh, uh, dead piece of driftwood, and Kano uh, fought Reptile. And then the fight ends with him like ripping his heart out, and he's like Kano wins, and it's just like, well, that's not a fight that's not like a one-on-one fight like you just happen to sort of come out on top in the situation but because it's a fighting game and we need to reference the fighting game he has to have the line oh everybody laugh in the audience i know that uh-huh. it's like it's patronizing at that point it really is and the, and the other thing i would say is like i feel like pacing wise this movie is like bass backwards because uh, again, because the story is not that interesting, um, I guess we didn't really set up particularly the, I guess there is a cold open, I forgot to mention that of the movie, um, oh, yeah, yeah that, that takes place in 17th century China, um, in which um, um, Hanzo Has, hopefully I'm pronouncing this correctly, Hanzo Hasashi, Hasashi um, is 
his family is murdered by by Han, who is Sub-Zero. Uh, they have a fight, uh, and then he is sent to the depths of hell. Um, but there's a baby left over um, who's then protected by Lord Raiden. Um, we learn that Cole Young is essentially the descendant of Hanzo. And so he keeps seeing snippets of him, of Hanzo in hell throughout the movie. And so even though like I wasn't really interested in his character's arc, I assumed we kind of talked about this off mic and I think you were of the same mind. It seemed like he was going to end up being Scorpion. Yeah. And so that it would have made sense that, you know, he fights Sub-Zero at the end of the movie. Um, and he does. Um, sorry, let me complete the thought about the structure being bass backwards and that there's like four fight sequences that happen in tandem with one another towards the end of the movie before they finally square off against Sub-Zero. And it's like, that's like a montage where I'm like, the training shit should have been a montage. Like you should yeah. have extended those fight sequences and made them much longer. Instead, like it, it just is all wrong. Um, but then Cole fights Sub-Zero and we kind of like, you know, again, I assume he's going to turn into Scorpion. He has uh, Hanzo's blade, but no, Hanzo actually returns from the depths of hell as Scorpion and then fights yeah. Sub-Zero anyway. So it's like, it's cool to see those two characters face off, but it's also like, well, then what's the purpose of this uh, new character? I, I, I don't understand right. why we needed a new like surrogate character. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, and the way that his character is handled too is, is really like, it's baffling. Cause like it, it, he has a family which he cares about and then you think that the family is going to play a bigger role in it but then they like they really don't he like gives up because he can't discover his arcana which is basically um a way that the movie is explaining why certain fighters in mortal Kombat uh have superpowers mm -hmm. is that your arcana is some like inner essence that you need to discover and be able to deploy and so he's like not able to discover his arcana so he quits Raiden sends him home. He goes back to his ranch home where his uh, wife and um, daughter are at. And then they send the worst choice for an assassin I can think of. Uh, like, uh, like, they have Melina, who is able to, like, teleport. She's very compact. She's got little bladed weapons. She's very quick like very adept at what she's doing do you want to send a literal fucking ninja to go kill this dude at his home where he's not going to expect it no we're going to send goro a <laughs> nine and a half foot tall 450 pound like forearm fucking like he is just barreling through like a goddamn moose tearing shit up and like <laughs> and it's like and it's a it's a complete waste of his character. Like it's 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 total fan service to be like, oh, you guys know Goro, right? Cool, but like it's not the right time. Like we're gonna have Goro chase a dude around a ranch and get hit by a truck and like have like a family drama going on. Like Goro is like a final boss in the games, and he mm -hmm. just gets like take, he's taken out by a dude whose superpower is basically the ability that Black Panther's suit has where if you punch him, it just retains kinetic energy and then he can use that kinetic energy to release a super punch. It's straight up out of Black Panther. Yeah. And it's like, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it, maybe it went over my head. I doubt it. But uh, like for his character, why is his superpower, I can retain kinetic energy through my suit that 
came out of nowhere. Like it, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just again, it, it it doesn't. You could have used any character, like any other character, to be this sort of thing. Like I, I think you said, did you say this off mic or did you say on mic? Johnny Cage. Like you could have just used Johnny Cage would have been perfect. Like that would have been a good one. Like, yeah, I don't know why you have to create a new character for this, but. Well, I've heard rumors that they wanted Johnny Cage to be in the movie, but the uh, the producers, I assume, wanted Johnny Cage to be a known actor, which would make sense that he came from Hollywood because it would be like a recognizable face, but they didn't want to spend the money on getting a recognizable actor until they knew that the movie was going to be successful. Mm. So then they purposely shot around not having Johnny Cage in there. But that still doesn't excuse why you have a main character who is a new character who is basically a non-character. Like, he doesn't really do anything in the movie that's effective or, like, dramatic or anything. They definitely could have just gone the route of the 1995 Mortal Kombat and just follow Luke Kang. Just follow a known character and do a hero arc with him. Yeah, it's just a, it. It was a weird choice. Um, and and the thing is, like anything, if if it was good or satisfactory, then I probably wouldn't begrudge the choice. But sure. it's a, just like, but I do because the movie's really boring. To be honest, <laughs> like it's yeah. not. That's really all it is. I, I think the movie's really boring. It's not that exciting. Um, and like I said, it just it looks and feels like an expensive TV pilot, and one of like i don't know if i would want it to go to season or not <laughs> it's sort of thing. i wouldn't was no. disjointed where you're jumping between scenes of we're training the the human characters here in the sand pit and then we're going to cut to outworld and outworld being like man we got to figure out a way to cheat and get those guys and then they do that for 40 minutes of the movie and it's just like you have to push the story forward we need to be doing things and like mm-hmm flesh out the tournament like they do like there's a ton of fan service in there that's fun but there's not enough service like there's not enough story or 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 meat or anything to really grasp onto if you're not a fan of the the games i would love to talk to somebody who has no context of what mortal Kombat is either from the movies or from the games who came into this blind and see what they'd have to say about it because i cannot imagine that they would have a positive reaction to this i can't imagine either and and i i think you know to to slowly put a cap on it i think you really hit the nail on the head because this movie doesn't have i guess the way i would say it is it doesn't have enough story or meat to not have the tournament in the actual movie or you needed to do it this like kind of bare, but like most of the movie is the actual tournament. And it's just right. like, like a, a fighting, literally a fighting tournament after fight, after fight, after fight. Like, but it's in this weird middle ground of like, it's just like, it's set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. Oh, here's a conclusion. JK, there's no tournament. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah. oh, the, it, 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 again, it's a lot of movies suffer from the syndrome nowadays where it's just like, you're setting up for the sequel where it's just like, just do one. You know, right. like even the 1995 Mortal Kombat did that. Yes, they tease Shao Kahn at the end, but it the narrative finishes. Right. It finishes the story. And here's a little teaser. This is what's next for these characters. Maybe you'll see this movie. Maybe you won't. But here's what's next sort of thing. Whereas this one doesn't even finish the story. It's just like, you know, Shao, uh, not Shao Kahn, excuse me. Sang Soon has just his like, you know, basically like i'll get you next time i'll and get you gadget yeah exactly and he <laughs> and then he goes back to outworld 
and then they have to recruit more people and then they tease that yes that they tease johnny cage's existence anyway which i mean i i think the movie's doing well enough they may or may not they probably will try to at least make a second one i don't know who they'll get to play johnny cage i just hope they get somebody who can i just hope they get better like fight sequences uh and a better story um, better writers please yeah yeah it just it just seemed like yeah it's it, it's a large retread of the first one and and it, it strips the idiosyncrasies of the first one and i can't believe that's a sentence that i just said but it just it, it's it really does strip away the the couple things that make the first one you know not a good fun. movie but at least a notable yeah notable movie and, and a fun movie in parts like it strips a lot of that away and all you're left with is a couple moments of fun fan service for people who play the games but other than that there's not a lot here no so no not much substance um well cool that's our mini sode on mortal Kombat. <laughs> we were hoping it would be cheerier but hey, and yeah. ends with a whimper much like the movie yeah it, it's only fitting that it ends in the <laughs> um but as, you know as promised on the last episode we'll be back this friday uh with uh with our newest episode we'll be talking about psychosexual dramas uh but in the meantime you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anchor.fm Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Good, Bad, What. You can email us at the good, the bad, the what at gmail.com if you want to say hello or if you have a question, comment, or concern. If you're feeling generous and you want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of running movies that we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos and our music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can people find more of your work online if uh, they want to follow you individually? Not much work, but you can find me at uh, T-H-O Christo 89 on Twitter. And you can find me at C underscore Tom. That's T-H-O-M on Letterboxd. And you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Riley 90 That's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90. Uh, as promised, we'll be back this Friday with Psychosexual Dramas. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.